Well, good morning, everyone. It is indeed a great morning because we're here to celebrate the fact, the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. He is alive. He is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. In fact, he is there interceding for us even as I speak. He's alive. That's true every Sunday. But we celebrate it particularly today. And uh, I hope you're here because you believe this. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And by the way, this what I'm just reading right here that He died, was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the message that every belief that we have as Christians hangs on. As I said before, if that's not true, we, we believe nothing. Apostle Paul says we're fools. To be pitied above all men, right? If, if that's not true, uh, then we have nothing to hang our faith on. We believe in vain, he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Ephesians 2 would say if that's not true, we're still dead. Spiritually speaking, we are the walking dead. We're like, we're like zombies. If Christ is dead, so are we. Right? We'd have no hope. And here's why. It's because if Christ didn't prove that He had power over sin and death, then sin and death would still reign over us. Sin's penalty is death. The Scripture is very clear about that. That's what the cross of Christ was about. He was paying the penalty for sin. So if He didn't conquer death, He hasn't conquered sin. Without resurrection, Christianity is just another human approach to reach God. It's just a shell. It's just another man-made religion, and it's not worth the energy that we all put into getting up this morning and coming here. That would be bad news if all that was true, but it's not. Praise God. We thank God this morning that Jesus did conquer sin, and He did conquer death. The tomb is empty. He is risen, and therefore we have life. And we have hope this morning because He's alive. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, this is a true statement about you. Sin and death have no power over you. None. As Jeremy pointed out to us in the beginning of the service, what's true of Christ is now true of us. So if Christ has conquered all of that and is alive forevermore with the Father, that's true of us as believers. Do you believe that this morning? I hope you do. I'm glad you do. I, I, I want to I really kind of press on us this morning because I, I know that in a room this size that we're there's a spectrum of belief here. So I want you to just evaluate your own Assumptions. I want you to evaluate your own hearts this morning. Do you, do you really believe this morning? Because you're, you're probably here for one of three reasons, maybe more, but here's the, probably the top three reasons you're here this morning. You're here because you do believe that this is true. Maybe you're here because you're not sure if it's true, but you're curious. Or maybe you're just here because it's Easter and that's just kind of what you do on Easter. You go to church. Maybe somebody brought you or, or dragged you here. It doesn't matter why you're here. What's that? I wanted to come to church. Amen. <laughs> Me too. Amen. 
I'm here because I want to be here too. So here's the thing. Regardless of why you're here, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I want to challenge you, again, to just consider for yourselves whether or not you believe Jesus is the Christ. Whether or not you believe that He is really risen from the dead. And, and here's the thing. Your belief doesn't make it true or not. It is true. <laughs> but, but you need to, you need to be responsive to the, the fact that it's true. And, and recognize that it, that truth makes all the difference in life. All the difference in life. Your understanding of the grand purpose of life, your eternal destiny hangs in the balance of the truth of that fact. So do you believe? I want to read with you the resurrection account as recorded here in the book of Luke. And I want you to notice something interesting about this account. Something maybe you haven't thought about before. So if you're there in Luke 24, I actually want to start by looking back just a a few verses to Luke 23. Look at verse 50. We're going back to the the burial, and this is something that Derek read for us earlier. It says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision in action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. That's an important fact. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and they prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. So I'm, I'm reading back these few verses just to give you a sense of, of timeline here. So Jesus is buried. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about it here if you were here at Good Friday. This is the Passover. Uh, and the Sabbath is coming up. And so the day of preparation was at hand. Jesus was crucified. The Lamb was slain at the time that the Passover Lamb was to be slain. He was the fulfillment of what the Passover was pointing to. But the burial of Christ was was sort of rushed because the Sabbath was upon them and they couldn't, they couldn't work on the Sabbath. They couldn't execute someone. They couldn't bury someone. They couldn't prepare uh, a body on the Sabbath. And so all of this was taking place. We see Joseph gets his own tomb, gives it to Jesus, puts his body in there, rolls the stone on, and the women go back to prepare spices. They hadn't yet done what they would normally do to embalm the body. Usually they would put spices on a, on a dead body, and you can imagine why. It, it's just part of the decaying process. It covers up the stench of that decay. But they hadn't done it yet. They had to go home with the intention then of coming back. And so we see now in Luke chapter 24, on the first day of the week, so now the Sabbath is over, at early dawn they went to the tomb and taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered 
his words. Did you catch what the angel said to the women in verse 5? Great question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Sort of reminds me of, of that, that scene in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is ascending to the Father and all the disciples are standing there kind of watching Him go up into the clouds and they're just staring into the sky and we're told an angel appears next to them and says, why are you looking into the sky? He's going to come back. The way you saw Him ascend, He's going to descend again. And it's the same kind of situation here. It's, it's a funny thing. Right? It seems like, like you would have done the same thing that these women were doing. You're, you're, you're running to the tomb and you're surprised to see this empty tomb. And the angel says, why are you surprised? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? What, what did they come there to do? Again, they, they brought these spices. They had come prepared to embalm this body, to, to cover the stench of the decaying body. They had begun this process on Friday. Again, they couldn't carry it out on Saturday. And so they came back to finish what they started. But they didn't expect to find the empty tomb. They had to be reminded that this is what Jesus had said. In fact, if we read Mark's account, they expected to have to figure out how are they going to roll the stone away. Mark's account says as they were walking up to this tomb to go, that, that's the conversation they were having. There's going to be a big stone here. How are we going to move it? How are we going to take care of this body? Now, even though the Scriptures... And Jesus Himself had given them clear indications of a resurrection. And you can, you can look those things up in John chapter 2.19 or Matthew 20.19. Jesus had said, this is what's going to happen. These women weren't prepared for what they were about to find. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand about these women. And it's, it's something that I want us to see ourselves uh, in too. Because this is a perfect description of, of all of us. They loved... Jesus. They loved Jesus deeply. They had followed Him. They had cared for Him. They'd stayed with Him up until the very end of His life, even up to the crucifixion. And the fact that they're here this morning is further evidence of their deep love for Jesus, of their deep devotion to the Lord. They were caring for Him even after His death. But despite this deep love for Jesus, what the angel's basically revealing to them is your faith is a little weak still. Your faith's a little weak. You, you didn't come here believing that the tomb might be empty, even though He told you that this was going to happen. And again, we know that this idea was far from their minds because in verse 8, it, it wasn't until the angel reminded them that Jesus had said these things that they remembered His words. So what do we know about the, the women here? We know this, that they believed in a Savior. No doubt but they were looking for Him in the wrong place. They were looking where dead things dwell. And we also know this, they weren't alone in their thinking. Where were the apostles on this same morning? Where were the other followers of Jesus? Were they waiting expectantly for a risen Christ? Were they hopeful? And I wonder where you or I would have been. Would I have been there? Where are you now? The angel's question is a remarkable one and one that we need to dwell on for all of us this morning. It's actually the best question any of us could be asked this morning. Why do you look for the living among the dead? So let's focus on that question. Let me ask it of you. Have you been looking 
for life? Have you been looking for the living among the dead? Have you been trying to find life, trying to find a savior among dead things? And, and a way to, to help you answer that question is just to evaluate what are you putting your hope for life in this morning? What are you putting your hope for life in? Where's your attention focused? What are you worrying about? That's a good starting point. What are you worrying about? And what do you think will bring you relief? That's a good way to know what you're looking for life in. What are you worried about and what do you think will bring you relief? And I want us to, to just admit this, that, that it's, it's, it's common for many of us, even people who truly love the Lord, to have a weak faith, to forget or perhaps ignore the promises that Jesus made about his resurrection, and the promises about new life. Instead, we, we place our hope oftentimes in earthly things and we seek to find our comfort in material things of this world, things that make us feel safe, things that make us feel comfortable, Lots of times the things that we can buy with our money. And what are we doing? In essence, we're looking for a functional Savior, right? But we're not looking for the true one. How do we do this? Well, a lot of Americans seek comfort in, again, the things that you can purchase with your money. Let me give you some examples. Electronics. Now, that that seems silly, but but how often are you just running to your your phone, <laughs> right? Comfort, escape, connection. You run to your phone, you run to your computer. Vacations, property, toys. Lots of us are putting our hope in circumstances, believing that life will be better only when this or that change occurs. If only I had a better job, we say, or if, if only I had a little bit more money, then I could obtain more things that would provide me with the comfort and the security that I'm looking for. And we do that foolishly thinking that once we attain that economic level, we'll be satisfied. All our problems will just disappear with our poverty. Do you, do you ever think that way? Is that where you've been looking for life? Or maybe others of us are looking for life in our relationships. Maybe you're longing to, to find or to be restored with that special someone who's going to understand you like nobody else understands you or take care of you with that unfailing love that you're looking for. And again, naively believing that our problems will be solved once you've attained that perfect relationship. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you experienced unfailing love from another person? So are you really looking for life in a relationship? You know, one other thing, I, I think last year revealed probably more than, than ever before is that many of us are hanging our hopes on political solutions to our problems. If we could only eliminate our fears politically, perhaps we could sleep at night without worry about what tomorrow may bring. Is that what you're holding out for? Here's the point. All too often we look to economic or emotional or political stability to provide us with the life and the comfort that our hearts are longing for. We're looking to these kinds of things all the while focusing our attention on the acquisition and safekeeping of earthly things for our comfort. Earthly things 
to satisfy us, dare I say, to save us. But here's the news this morning. It's, it's bad news, but it's not really news because I, I think you already know it to be true. There's no life among dead things. There's no life among dead things. Money, relationships, homes, creature comforts, political systems, they're all perishable, right? They're not eternal. They come, they go, they rise, they fall. And here's the thing, their fate is already sealed. Human experience has proven that time and time again. You exist right now today in a long line of humans who have been living for thousands of years before you who have tried to put their hopes in all those same kinds of things that you are and they found them to be failing. None of the things that they hoped in are still around. And none of the things that we hope in materially will be around any longer than we will either, right? Have you found that to be true? I hope you have. I think it's obvious if we really consider it honestly. When we look to perishable things that give us life, we begin to sense, you know, it's not really working out. I'm not really ever quite there. I never fully arrive. And so we find ourselves on the treadmill. Life is elusive. Where is this comfort? Where is this satisfaction? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now let me be clear about something before we go too much further. I, I want to state for the record that there's nothing wrong with relationships or money or material things. Those things are given by God. They're gifts to be enjoyed. They're just not meant to be your Savior. They're just not meant to be our Savior. You say, what do you mean? I mean this. I mean, the assumption behind our desire for material things is that if we're just able to add something to ourselves, just add that one thing, we'd be okay. In other words, me plus something positive. Me as I am, but, but something a little bit positive in, in addition to me, that's going to equal comfort. And the message of Scripture is that that's not true at all. See, the whole message of Jesus' life and ministry was in fact the opposite of that. What Jesus taught for the three years before His death and resurrection was, was basically this. It's not that you need to add something to what you already have. Rather, you need something to be removed. That's what Good Friday was all about. The reason we don't have life is because we all inherently have something that the Bible calls a sin nature. A sin problem. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And again, the reason why we're all uncomfortable is because we're all on a one-way trajectory towards that payment. Towards death. And nothing can change that. Except for what happened on Good Friday. What Jesus did is He died on that cross to offer Himself up to die the death that our sin deserved before a holy God who made us. That's what the cross is all about. He died the death that we deserve before the holy God who made us, and this holy God who made us has demanded, demanded that we live the way we were created to live. When we fail to do that, and all of us do, that's sin, and it needs to be removed 
And the only way it can be removed is to pay the debt, to pay the penalty, to pay the wage. The wage is death. And so Jesus came to die the atoning sacrifice needed to remove the sin from you and from me. The promise of Jesus is that He would truly save us. He would truly save us from the one thing that makes us all perishable. And the promise of His resurrection was to be proof that He could accomplish what He said He would do. That He really would pay the debt and conquer its penalty. So there is good news this morning. The angel's next words hold the key to solving our dilemma. He says, why do you look for the living among the dead? And he says, here's the good news. He's not here. He's risen. Jesus is alive. He's done something, in other words. The two Marys who came to the, to the temple or the tomb that day, they, they needed to hear what, what, what explains this. The stone's not here. The body's not here. Explain this to us. And the angel says, this is, this is the explanation. He's, he's done something. He's fulfilled his promise. Something that no other human being or created thing could ever do. He alone conquered the thing that stands between us and our ability to have true life. He conquered death. And he was able to do it. He was able to do it because he alone was the divine Son of God. It's sin that leads to death and He alone can claim the authority to overcome it. Because He's the divine Son of God and you say, well, prove it, Jesus, and the empty tomb says, there it is. There's your proof. The resurrection proves that there is a life that is not perishable and it can only be found in and through the One who's alive, who's gone through death and come back, Jesus Christ. So this morning, as you consider your hearts and you consider where where am I looking to for my functional salvation? Where am I looking to for my security and my comfort? If you want to know what true life looks like, you got to look to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. Jesus is the only life that will never perish. Because he's the only one who's conquered death. And again, the resurrection proves it. Furthermore, his resurrection is the hope of new life for those of us who trust in him. When we look to this risen Lord Jesus for life, we have therefore then a living hope. Because he's alive, our hope is alive. We don't have a hope in things that are dead. We're no longer dead. He's alive. We're alive. First Peter 1, verses 3-5 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, just as the two Marys came early that morning to the tomb because they loved Jesus, so too there must be some level of love or at least hope that's caused you to do the same thing this morning. You came to church today. Something caused you to respond to your alarm clock this morning. 
You know, we, we have a, we have a new puppy in our house. We just got a new puppy this last week, which means we're not sleeping hardly at all. Lots of barking and whining. And yet this morning when the alarm went off, it was, hey, it's Sunday, right? Something, something compelled you to respond to that clock, to bear the discomfort of Easter outfits that you probably don't normally wear to church, right? What was it? You know, I, I believe it was God's call on your life to be reminded, just like the two Marys that morning, to be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. To hear the story again, the true story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning not to have a weak faith in Him. Not to have a weak faith in Him. Even, even those of you who are Christians, don't, don't be caught in a moment of betraying the living hope to which you've been born again. When He rose from the dead and that tomb was empty, He brought you with Him. New life was given to all of us who by faith trust in Him. You have had that same powerful experience. So don't be caught in a moment of betraying the living hope to which you have been born again. And don't be focused on trying to find your functional Savior where dead things dwell. You have something so much better than that this morning. Our Savior is not where dead things dwell. Our Savior is risen and He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now. So only Jesus. Right? This is the reminder we need week in and week out. Only Jesus can give us true, imperishable, lasting life because only Jesus has conquered death. Look back at our passage this morning and, and just read with me the remaining verses, 6-8. through eight. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. They remembered His words. Let's remember His words this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The giver of imperishable life. Don't look for the living among the dead. Trust in Him by faith. Would you pray with me as we ask God to just give us that living hope regularly? Heavenly Father, we praise You this morning for the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You have demonstrated Your love and Your power to us in His resurrection from the dead, and we give You glory, God. We give You glory, Father. Father, we do love Jesus. And I pray that we would be full of faith in Him and Him alone. He's the only one who has conquered death and sin and He alone can give us resurrected lives in Him. So help us to remember His words and to live by them and in them faithfully, Lord, every day. Lord, the great thing about the resurrection is that You inaugurated a new age, a church age, where the disciples from there on forward would gather together on the first 
day of the week. Just, just in that commemoration of the, the resurrection, every first day of the week, they'd gather together just as we are now to remember, to proclaim it again. He's risen. We have a hope. We have a faith that is true and real. We have a living Savior. So, Lord, we just thank you for dying for us on the cross on Friday, and we praise you for resurrecting us to new life with Jesus on Sunday. Father, your grace and mercy is far too wonderful for us, and we praise your holy name. And we do that in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.